You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. This afternoon, we will be looking at Lord's Day 14 in the sermon. In connection with that, let's read two Bible passages. First of all, from 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 6, and then 1 John 4. I urge, then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. Let's also turn to 1 John 4. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love. Because perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. 
We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This afternoon I will preach to you the truth of God's Word as it's been summarized by the church and as we confess it in Lord's Day 14 of the Heidelberg Catechism. What do you confess when you say He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? The eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took upon Himself true human nature from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary through the working of the Holy Spirit. Thus, He is also the true seed of David, and like His brothers in every respect, yet without sin. What benefit do you receive from the holy conception and birth of Christ? He is our mediator, and with His innocence and perfect holiness covers in the sight of God my sin in which I was conceived and born. Beloved congregation, of Christ Jesus. Reminders are powerful tools in God's hand to both maintain us in the Christian life, to begin us in the Christian life, and to also make us grow in it. Think of what God speaks to us in, in 2 Peter 1, 12-13. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. When Peter wrote this second epistle, he wasn't bringing a lot of anything new to his readers. Much of it was a reminder of what he had taught them previously, what he had preached to them before. But it was important for them to be reminded. He went on to say, Verse 15, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. You see, reminders serve to keep important truths fresh in our minds and our hearts. And one of those important truths is the first coming of the Lord Jesus. In verse 16 of Second Peter 1, continuing, we read, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. This is one of those truths that Peter would always remind his readers about. This is a truth about which we also regularly receive reminders. Each year on December 25th, we are reminded of and we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ, our Savior. But we also have the regular preaching of the catechism. And as we do that, time and again, we come to Lord's Day 14, which considers Article 3 of the Apostles' Creed. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. This is one of the most important teachings of the faith. And so it's entirely appropriate that we're regularly reminded about it and we reflect on it and believe it. 
This afternoon we'll be reminded again of what God's Word says about the first coming of our Lord. It may very well happen that for many of us sitting in the pew this afternoon, there won't be anything new. That's okay. Reminders are important. We're going to consider what the Bible teaches about the coming of our Lord to this earth as our mediator. We find that biblical word mediator used in question and answer 36. And before we dive into the, the meat of the sermon, it's really important that we understand what a mediator is and what a mediator does. Simply put, a mediator is a person who reconciles two parties who have been fighting. In this instance, the two parties are God and fallen man. Fallen man has been rebelling against God since the fall into sin. God's wrath has been aroused by this rebellion. Someone needs to come and bring God and man back together again. That someone, of course, is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to earth as our mediator. We'll consider the truth that He came from God and then also that He came for us. Now in 1 John 4, 9-10, to we read these words, This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. There are a few things we ought to take note of here. First of all, it was the eternal Son of God who came for us. The baby who was born in a manger in Bethlehem had a prior existence and life story. As the Catechism puts it, he is and remains true and eternal God. In other words, before his incarnation, he existed in his divine nature. And that's why the Lord Jesus could say to the Jews in John 8:58, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. The eternal Son of God had an agreement with the Father to come into this world. This is sometimes called the covenant of redemption or the council of peace. Now that's not to be confused with the covenant of grace. We're going to hear more about the covenant of grace in a few moments. This covenant of redemption or council of peace is the agreement made between God the Son and God the Father before creation. We find this covenant mentioned or implied in a number of places in the Bible. For instance, in John's Gospel, in several places, Christ speaks of the commandments that have been given to Him by the Father. The author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 40, which speaks about the Son coming to do the will of His Father. And there are other passages as well which speak about promises given to the Son his obligations to obedience, and the blessings that would follow. Now it's clear that under this covenant of redemption, the Father sent His Son into the world for our salvation. And this idea of sending is clear in 1 John 4, verse 9, 
he sent his one and only son into the world. The son was sent and he gladly obeyed without any resistance. His first coming was therefore not something that he did independently, all on his own. No, he was sent into this world by God the Father. And as he came into this world, he became incarnate. Incarnate simply means that he took on human flesh. We confess that he took upon himself true human nature. That means that he was no ordinary human being. Because when we come into this world, we don't take anything to ourselves. We're conceived and born helpless. Didn't have anything to do with it. The coming of Jesus Christ was entirely unique. He was active in it. Notice that he is the active subject of that sentence. He took upon himself true human nature. Philippians 2.7 says it most clearly. But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Our mediator was actively involved in his incarnation. It was attentive and deliberate action on his part. It was part of his active obedience to the will of the Father who sent him. Now this is a vitally important point. We're going to come back to it in a few minutes. For now, let's continue by considering how the incarnation of our Savior took place. Catechism says that he did this from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary through the working of the Holy Spirit. Well, here we have to right away acknowledge that we're in the the realm of mystery because there is no clear and easy explanation as to how the eternal Son of God took on a human nature from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary. Now, theologians have all sorts of different theories, but the fact remains that there is no biblical, explicit biblical explanation as to how this could happen. There is no explicit biblical explanation as to how our Savior could take on a human nature from Mary and yet remain sinless. All we know is that this is what the Bible teaches us. And in humility, we accept it. We accept what God says in faith. What is clear is that the Holy Spirit was involved. In Luke 1.35, the angel Gabriel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Somehow, we don't know how, the Holy Spirit was vitally involved in the conception of Jesus. His involvement ensured that the child to be born would be both man and God, truly divine and truly human, but without sin. Moreover, we ought also to remember that crucial truth that Mary was a virgin. In the animal world, understand that there are apparently a number of creatures that are capable of fertilizing themselves, acting as both male and female. It's unusual, but apparently it does happen. But it is unheard of among human beings. What happened with Mary was miraculous. The Holy Spirit, He worked this miracle 
through His divine power. In all of this, we can see that the triune God was involved in the coming of our Savior. The Father sent Him. The Son agreed to go, and He did. The Holy Spirit participated in His conception and in guaranteeing His sinlessness. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were together working when the Lord Jesus came to earth as our mediator. And that leads us naturally, or should lead us naturally, to ask why? What motivated God in all of this? And to answer that, we can go back to what we read from 1 John 4. The sending of our Lord Jesus is mentioned there in the context of love. Verse 7 begins that section with a command to love one another. Why? Because love comes from God. And God's love was supremely demonstrated in what He did with Christ's incarnation. The first coming of Jesus Christ was a picture of God's love for us. God was motivated by love. Love. Do we know exactly what that means? It's important to ask that question because in the world in which we live, love is often confused with all sorts of other things, often in a selfish way. You know, just think of the expression, making love. Fallen man has vandalized love and desecrated its meaning. But from Scripture, we know that the most striking characteristic of love is its willingness to give and to sacrifice. Isn't that what we see most clearly in the Incarnation? Think of well-known passage, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. There you see it too. Love goes hand in hand with giving. And nowhere is this seen more clearly than in the gift of the eternal Son of God, our Mediator. He came from God and He came for us. Well, now let's look at more in more detail what that means and, and the comfort that it gives us. You know, there are several places in the Bible that refer to Jesus Christ as our Mediator. One of those places is found in what we read from 1 Timothy 2. In verse 5, we read that there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Notice that Paul Paul draws special attention there to the human nature of Christ. He calls him the man, Christ Jesus. Obviously, Christ's human nature is of critical importance for His being a mediator. And we might ask why that is. Why couldn't we have a mediator who just has a divine nature? Why was the incarnation so vitally important? To answer that, we need to consider what a mediator does. Biblical terms... A mediator is one who restores a relationship. Remember, from the beginning, brings two parties together, right? In this instance, the relationship being restored 
is between God and man. And we have a special name for that relationship. We call it the covenant. The covenant is the relationship between God and man. So when we speak about Christ as our mediator, we should be clear that He is the mediator of the covenant of grace. That's what Hebrews 12.24 teaches us, calling Jesus the mediator of the new covenant. This covenant needs to have a mediator in order to function properly. God's justice demanded that He would be eternally angry with mankind because of their sin. In that scenario, it would be impossible for God to have any friendly relationship with mankind at all. And so, it was necessary that we have someone who could step in and intervene on our behalf for us. We needed someone who would not only plead with God for us, but also, this is equally important, satisfy God's justice and remove every offense, past, present, and future. With such a mediator, humanity could be restored into fellowship with God. This mediator needed to be a true man. If you remember from Lord's Day 6, the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned has to pay for sin. Sin needs to be atoned for through suffering and death. And the divine nature, by its very nature, could not suffer and die. Therefore, satisfaction of God's wrath had to come through a man. But at the same time, this mediator also needed to be true God. One who is only a man would inevitably be destroyed by the immense weight of God's anger against sin. And a mere man would never be able to pay the price completely to God for sin. To restore this covenant fellowship, we needed a mediator who is both true God and true man. And in Jesus Christ, our Savior, we find a mediator who has the right qualifications for the job. Not only is He true God and true man, He was and He is also completely innocent and perfectly holy. This was also one of the qualifications needed for the mediator of the covenant of grace. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Beautiful words, aren't they? In that passage, we're told that it's comforting to know that we have someone in heaven who understands us. He knows because He is one of us. He's lived here on this earth. You know, the good news is that the comfort goes even further. Verse 16 of Hebrews 4 says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help help us in our time of need. 
having a perfect mediator who shares our human nature, but who also has a divine nature, means that we can go to God with faith, fully trusting that He will not turn us away, fully trusting that He will give us mercy, He will give us grace when we most need it. Brothers and sisters, I want to show you how that truth works in in two different ways this afternoon. And both of those ways will, will comfort you and encourage you. We confess from the Bible that we are conceived and born in sin. And like it or not, the Bible tells us that, and we know from experience, that we remain sinners until the day of our natural death or until Christ returns. That's bad news. However, the good news is that when we trust in the mediator of the covenant, Jesus Christ the righteous, we are declared right with God. We call that justification. Though we remain sinners in practice, we are declared righteous in principle. That means that should we die or should the Lord Jesus return, we are guaranteed a place in God's presence. We've been acquitted. Christ, the mediator of the covenant, He guarantees it. He does that through His suffering and death, but also through His complete innocence and perfect holiness. Reformed theologians have described that as the act of obedience of Christ. His act of obedience, His complete sinlessness is given to us. It is imputed to us. When we believe in this Savior, when we embrace Him in faith, all the innocence and holiness of Christ, it covers us. And God no longer sees our sin in which we were conceived and born. The curse of sin is removed. Here we see the awe-inspiring grace of God at work. You must have a cold, dead heart if that doesn't fill you with praise and thanksgiving for your God. But the good news, it gets better in that the grace of God doesn't stop at our justification as if we get in God's favor by grace, but then we have to stay in by our good works. It's not how it it happens. Christ is the mediator of the covenant, not only in our justification, but also in our sanctification, the process by which we we, we grow and progress in holiness. Now, sometimes people seem to think that Christ is good and grace is good for the beginning of the Christian life, but then after that, it's up to us to fulfill the obligations. God does His part, and now we have to do ours. Not so. Christ is our mediator. Not only at the beginning of our Christian life, justification if you want, but also through all the struggles with sin that follow afterwards. Sanctification. The key teaching here is our union with Christ through faith and the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We 
This is so important for everyone to understand. We are united to Christ. And so His obedience throughout His life, His holiness becomes ours not only in principle, but also increasingly in practice. I think I may have mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but I'm going to repeat it because it is so important for us to understand. Sanctification is first of all the work of Christ. Lord's Day 32 captures this biblical way of thinking when it answers the question of why we must do good works by saying that Christ, having redeemed us by His blood, also renews us by His Holy Spirit to be His image. Notice that the question is about us. Why must we do good works? But the answer is about Christ in the first place. It also results in us doing something. It goes on to say, so that with our whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God. But the focus is on Christ. The mediator of the covenant not only works out the promise side, but he also works out the obligation side. Isn't that amazing? He not only works on God's side of the covenant, but also on ours. Now that, brothers and sisters, is a perfect mediator. That's a great Savior that we can and we will worship. For each and every one of us, this is the Savior we're called to believe in. And rejecting His call, that means covenant-breaking and disfellowship. If you hear all this and you're indifferent to it and you say, I don't care, this is, I've all heard all this before, whatever. You are living in enmity with God, living distant from Him. Repent and believe. Believing in Jesus Christ simply means embracing the mediator of the covenant, the only one who can bring us near to God, who can bring us into God's family. He is the eternal Son of God who became one of us so that He could save us. He is the mediator of the covenant of grace who reveals to us God's love and compassion for undeserving sinners. Brothers and sisters, loved ones, believe in Him, and though you die, you will live. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, how we're filled with praise for you again this afternoon. Who is like you, our great God? Again, you've shown us your love and compassion in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you that in your love you sent him into this world. Lord Jesus, we praise you for taking on our human nature. We praise you as the sinless one, the one who with his perfect innocence and holiness covers our sin in which we were conceived and born. The sin which continues to be so pervasive in our lives. We praise you 
as the mediator of the covenant of grace. Lord Jesus, we thank You that Your perfect obedience is given to us so that we can not only be right with the Father, but also the power of sin in our lives is dealt with. That we can walk in holiness in increasing measures. And Holy Spirit, we praise You that You worked that holy conception of our Lord Jesus. We praise You for bringing all His benefits to bear in our lives. Lord God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise You, the God of our salvation. We pray that You would help us evermore to embrace Christ the Savior. We pray that each one of us here this afternoon would truly believe in Jesus the Mediator. Oh, Father, please help us with Your Holy Spirit to that end. We pray in the name of the One who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, Jesus Christ, our Mediator. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.